Today, we're talking about this Sniper Wolf doxing scandal, though she says she's the actual victim. We've got troubling updates on Hamas and Israel. Well, Poland's hugely consequential election just exposed. We also break down the clown show that was the Dylan, Dennis, Logan Paul fight. And why many are now pushing for race to be removed from the census. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news. But first, I gotta let you know that the October Beautiful Bastard Drop is now live. Click the link in the description, use the QR code, type it out. Because as promised, it is our big biggest and best drop yet. We've got new shirts, hoodies, zip-ups, crews, tie-dyes, props, hats, denim jackets, a pin set, and we've got new and old lines. Rare staples like emotionally exhausted, keep going, one day we'll all be skeletons, schools just want to have fun, but also completely new stuff like as above, so below, and everyone else is a villain in someone else's story. And then just some clean looks like our black denim jacket. So go get in on any and all of that because it's amazing in its own right, but also it's one of the best ways you can help support the show. But with that now said, we got a lot of news to break down today, so let's just jump into it. Starting with, this sniper wolf situation is disgusting, it is reckless, it is dangerous, and we have to talk about it. Right, and if you don't know, sniper wolf is an absolutely massive YouTuber. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of views each month. She's best known for her cosplay and her react content, and that specific content has gotten a lot of heat over the last few months. With a lot of people saying the react content, it, it's not transformative. She's just stealing and siphoning content from other people and benefiting from it. And among her many critics, one of her biggest ones is a creator by the name of Jack's Film. He's an old school YouTuber. I think he's been on the platform for like 17 years, and over the past few months, he's really highlighted this problem. And with that, he's made a ton of videos criticizing Sniper Wolf for her reaction videos, both making fun of her, but also at the same time giving credit to the content that she is reacting to. But then, over the weekend, it escalated from just some internet thing to the real world, with her posting an Instagram story with a poll saying, should I visit Jack's films? He lives five minutes away from my shoot. And as it turns out, she wasn't joking because she ended up posting from outside his house saying, let's talk like adults, Jack's films, and in that, showing the exterior of his home. But of course, in this video, we have a blurred out because we're not psychopaths. Now she ended up deleting those posts after getting backlash, but Jax Films went to Twitter to write, Sniper Wolf just doxed me on her Instagram. Creepy, gross, violating. What you do is disgusting. You steal content and stalk YouTubers. YouTube demonetizes dangerous, quote, creator or just get her off your platform. She posted an Instagram story right outside her home and deleted it. In what universe do you think that's okay? In what reality do you live in where you think this behavior is justified? She's no longer a, quote, silly creator that steals content, teehee. She's a creep that stalks and threatens her critics. Nah, fuck that. Time to get her off YouTube. But then Sniper Wolf shot back at a handful of posts on her Instagram story, saying his claims are defamation and she doesn't know how to dox. And adding, he literally posted his address on Google and said, I threatened him and doxed him. And adding, this creep has been harassing me for months, then plays victim saying I threatened him when I just wanted to talk to him. I have no ill intentions. She also posted a video saying, This guy's entire channel is just me, me, me. Every single video for the past few months has been about me. And it's just like on me. And then his streams. This dude is just like low-key harassing me. Like, should I get a restraining order? Jack then replying to all this and saying she ends with, should I get a restraining order? Well, one of us showed up to the other's house tonight and it wasn't me. And saying the harassing you claim I've been doing is documenting recent examples of you stealing creator's content, stealing jokes, and failing to provide transformative commentary. Obviously, it struck a nerve, but wow, doxing me was not on my bingo card. There is no reality where you're in the right here. And then regarding the claims that she doesn't even know how to dox, he said, you posted a video tonight of you outside our home for your 5 million plus followers to see. While my wife and I were inside, 
sign. I can't make it any simpler than that. If that's not doxing, why did you delete it? And all this has unsurprisingly spawned tons of responses online. A few defending her, but largely it seems like people are on Jack's side. And saying things like, her saying I found his address on Google was nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to tell her audience, here's where you can find the information. Sniper Wolf is going to get somebody hurt. As well as, I don't care if you're a fan of Sniper Wolf or not, Jack did not deserve to be doxed over what amounts to YouTube drama. Fuck out of here, man. And personally, my opinion here, I used the words in the beginning. I think this is disgusting, it is dangerous, and it is reckless. This is just something you do not do. This crosses a line. In my opinion, when she says there was no ill intent, I just wanted to talk, that sounds like bullshit to me. Or you just want to talk? DM. You posted all this, including the front of his home, publicly. At the very least, this was an intimidation tactic. At the very worst, you were hoping that something escalates. And her posting after all the big reactions to her story, like joking about the incident, saying we show up to your house, what do you do? I feel like that shows she really doesn't understand what she did was fucked up. Also, that she likely doesn't expect to be held accountable, which is a big aspect of the story because not only did Jack and others online say she needs to be deplatformed, but that was something that Jack reiterated in a video that he uploaded to YouTube. But here's the thing, and YouTube, feel free to prove me wrong. I am 99.5% sure YouTube's not gonna do a fucking thing. And as far as why, it's because she's one of their golden creators. She was even their keynote speaker at VidCon and they were gushing about her on Twitter. And the truth is, this has gotten to such a point, they can't claim, oh, we didn't see it. And so understand, if there is, as I expect, a lack of an action, that is an action. When you don't send a message, that is a message. And unfortunately, the one that YouTube may be sending here is a dangerous one. But hey, uh, that is a story, some of my personal opinion, and now I pass the question off to you, whether you agree or you disagree with me. What are your thoughts here and why? And then, over the weekend, we saw a lot happen between Gaza and Israel. Giving a quick update to the numbers, we have the total number of dead across both sides now in the thousands, with more than 1,400 Israelis and at least 2,750 Palestinians killed. And what's concerning is that number is already high, and there hasn't even been a ground invasion yet. There's also, of course, the risk of the conflict escalating as conflicts have started breaking out in the West Bank. And that's on top of the reports that Israel had targeted the airfields of neighboring countries that it believes Iran is using to bring in arms to groups like Hezbollah. You also had the continued airstrikes into Gaza while rockets flew into Israel. Also, one of the biggest developments was the announcement by Israel that for about half a day, there would be a safe passage corridor into southern Gaza. However, even that ended up causing issues. There were claims that Israel ended up targeting the corridor anyways, while on the other side, Hamas was accused of blocking it off and setting off explosives to stop it. But either way, it was horrible for everyday Gazans who were just just trying to get out of the northern part of the territory where the worst fighting is expected to happen. Though that said, there are some efforts to relieve them. With yesterday, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken telling reporters, Rafa will be open. Adding, we're putting in place with the United Nations, with Egypt, with Israel, with others, the mechanism by which to get the assistance in and to get it to the people who need it. And notably, this opening would allow humanitarian aid to be sent to Gaza from Egypt and let the roughly 500 to 600 American citizens living in Gaza out, alongside many others with foreign passports. And on top of this, Egypt and the U.S. agreed that there would be a temporary ceasefire to make this happen. Except, of course, there was one big issue. You kind of need Israel and Hamas to also agree, and neither did. With Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office issuing a statement this morning that no such ceasefire has taken place. And that was shortly followed by Egypt saying that no aid has managed to get through. Though you also have Israel at least saying that a safe passage corridor would continue to exist to try and let Gazans get to the south. And then as far as the online conversations, uh, this continues to be an extremely polarizing situation. With there being a range of opinions and claims like this is a genocide by Israel or that Hamas was solely to blame for outsized death tolls because it was using civilian residential areas to launch attacks. So with all this, the reactions have not been limited to just the internet. But I mean, one notable thing was the call by Hamas leadership for a day of rage last Friday, something that actually led to many schools and events being shut down over fears that people or groups would take up that call. Though largely, we ended up just kind of seeing bomb threats and large protests. Though we saw many authorities still being cautious. I mean, it even led to places like France largely being shut down. But also, there have been attacks on people. Right? In Germany, Jewish homes and businesses were targeted, with many shops getting their windows smashed in and stars a day 
David being painted on doors, which is a clear callback to the 1930s when the Nazi party encouraged things like that. Meanwhile, in London, a man arrived at a pro-Palestine rally to carry an Israeli flag and was attacked for it before police managed to intervene, which on that note, many pro-Palestine protests across the world have been absolutely massive. I also want to make sure to mention that there have been extremely violent reactions too. In northern France, a teacher was stabbed to death and three others injured in what authorities are calling a terror attack, with the attacker reportedly being a 20-year-old Russian man from one of Russia's majority Muslim republics. And then possibly one of the worst examples of how this conflict has spilled over is what happened in Chicago, with it being reported that a young six-year-old Palestinian-American boy was killed after his landlord barged into his family home, murdered him with a knife, and severely wounded his mother. Police right now are treating this as a hate crime. And this young boy's death has gotten a lot of attention, with even President Biden talking about it this weekend and saying, the child's Palestinian-Muslim family came to America seeking what we all seek, a refuge to live, learn, and pray in peace, and saying this horrific act of hate has no place in America and stands against our fundamental values. Freedom from fear for how we pray, what we believe, and who we are. And it's because of the threats and incidents like this that agencies all over the U.S. and world, really, are on edge right now. Especially as there is a real fear that these will hardly be the last kinds of things we see. And then, in entertainment and drama news, we gotta talk about this Dylan, Dan, as Logan, Paul, Nina, Agdahl situation. Because it finally happened after months and months of just shit-talking and slut-shaming. Dylan Danis finally entered the ring and fought Logan Paul. Though notably not before he cut Logan's face with a microphone in a promotional event before the fight. And while in the fight, Logan easily handled Dylan all six rounds. It technically ended in the sixth round with a few seconds left via disqualification. And that's because in addition to things earlier in the fight, like Dylan lying on the ground and showing Logan where he wants it, later on in the fight, once he had done such a terrible job, the crowd had actually turned against him and in favor of Logan for the most part. He decided to try to do some jujitsu on Logan, which also was embarrassing because he failed both times. One time, it just looked like he was trying to top Logan off in the middle of the ring. And then the last time, he just ended up like falling or getting thrown to the ground and almost getting hit with a hammer fist in his face. At which point, security then flooded the ring. Dylan, I guess, wanted to also try and fight a security guard, which I guess that's what he was saving his punches for. And so as places like CBS Sports explain, Paul was moments away from a unanimous decision win before Danis' shenanigans forced a disqualification. And while most outlets said basically the same thing, CBS went even further and said it was barely more competitive than if Logan had fought a punching bag, saying Dylan was all misfit, no boxing. And Twitter has largely agreed. Though, of course, none of that has stopped Dylan from talking shit online, continuing to slut shame Nina, also saying he's appealing the disqualification. But in general, you know, it was all just kind of clown behavior. And personally, the only thing I kind of wonder at this point is I wonder how much money he made Logan Paul. I'm so interested what the pay-per-view number is going to be because, you know, uh, Dylan, I guess, got a flat fee and Logan gets back-end points. But also, on, on the previous note of there being an appeal, YouTuber KSI also said he's going to be appealing the decision because right? he fought boxer Tommy Fury and it was it was close. Some have described it as a robbery. I would say if it's not a robbery, it was, I, I didn't agree with the, the decision. Personally, based off of how things looked and also the numbers, I thought KSI won the first three rounds. Tommy got the last three rounds, but also Tommy had a point deduction because he kept punching KSI in the back of the head. And so for me, and it turns out many others, I thought KSI won. But also, you know, I'm just some schmuck watching the fight. I'm not a professional judge. And so I also kind of think when a YouTuber is going against a professional boxer, you need to think of it as like someone going against the champ. If you even think it's remotely close, you should expect to lose. You often got to make it undeniable or you put their ass on the ground. But hey, if you watch the fights, I'd love to know your thoughts. And then for any of you focused on getting your business off the ground, creating a place to share your homemade goods or even a personal blog, I got a great solution for you. And it comes from, and I want to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Squarespace. You know, I've been partnering with Squarespace for years now, and I have to say it is just so easy. There's nothing to install, patch, or update ever. And creating a beautiful website with Squarespace's Fluid Engine is so easy. You just drag things where you like, no coding necessary. And if you need a starting point, Squarespace has a bunch of great 
professional templates. Hell, you could even sell custom merch easily. Squarespace handles all the production and shipping. Plus, with Squarespace, you get access to all their marketing tools and analytics and their award-winning customer care team via email or live chat 24-7. So go check it out. See why others love it. See why you're going to love it. And start your free trial today over at squarespace.com slash Phil. And when you realize you made one of the easiest and smartest decisions, just make sure you enter an offer code Phil to get 10% off your first purchase. And then, should we stop categorizing people by race? That is the question people are asking right now regarding the U.S. Census. Because a growing segment of experts and activists are calling upon the U.S. Census Bureau to stop categorizing people by race. And that's because over the past year, they've invited the public to give feedback on potential changes to the 2030 Census, including to questions on race and ethnicity. And so Carlos Hoyt, a psychotherapist and author who consults at schools and universities on the topic, is leading an effort to remove or at least reform that section altogether. Right? And his fundamental point is that race, concepts like white, black, Asian, Arab, etc., are not real in any biological sense. And actually, according to the science, he's 100% right. The overwhelming majority of geneticists agree that racial categories are an extremely weak proxy for genetic variation. And historians have actually noted that the concept of race hasn't always existed, and when it has, it changed repeatedly. You know, some scholars date racism as far back as the ancient world, while others claim it actually is a modern or a late medieval invention. But you see, at least most agree that so-called scientific racism, or more accurately, pseudoscientific racism, took off in the 18th century. Right, that being the use of supposedly scientific methods to divide people into distinct races. With the idea being used to justify slavery, colonialism, war, genocide, and all that stuff. But for nearly just as long, and especially since the early 20th century, thinkers have pushed back against the pseudoscience. With figures like W.E.B., Du Bois, and Franz Boas arguing that race is just a social construct. And over the next several decades, developments in genetics, biology, anthropology, and other disciplines increasingly cast doubt on the concept. That is, until 2003 with the completion of the Human Genome Project, and that really put the final nail in the coffin. And so now, people like Hoyt argue that the rest of society needs to catch up to the scientific community and begin phasing out race from our vocabulary. But also, unsurprisingly, that proposal has provoked a lot of resistance. Right? You see many left-leaning people accusing people like Hoyt of claiming to be colorblind, basically denying that race has any effect on himself or the world. But there, he counters that there is a difference between being race-blind and being racism-blind. Right? One recognizes that race itself isn't real, the other denies the existence of racism. Though notably, critics argue that there actually isn't much of a difference. Right? Because even though race isn't biological, we live in a world where it does matter, and there's no escaping that. Right? If someone walked up to you and they were like, the only race I see is the human race, you're like, shut the fuck up. There are different lived realities just based off of things like the color of our skin. And even if race is a social construct, guess what? You live in a society. One, where it plays a factor, and so you should keep that in mind. But also with this, the Census Bureau isn't the only institution that critics are going after. Right? I mean, popular ancestry services like 23andMe have been criticized for creating the illusion that race is somehow genetic. With critics arguing that even though it's often used to dunk on white supremacists by exposing their supposedly African DNA, that arguably still reinforces the assumption that race is real. But also you have people saying, hey, what about medical institutions? Are they often ask you to fill out your race or ethnicity on patient intake forms? Isn't that for a reason? But reportedly, when clinicians do that, they're really just using race as an imperfect proxy for other factors that may correlate with certain health outcomes. Which is why you have critics saying that it creates this loop where doctors import pseudoscientific categories into their practice. And then people use that as evidence that those categories are backed by actual science. Or for example, tons of people believe that sickle cell anemia is a black disease, but that's actually not true. Right? While broadly, African Americans are more likely to have it, some African populations don't share that trait, and some in Europe and Asia do. So instead of being a product of race, the disease is actually linked to areas that have high rates of malaria. But then, if you use a different example, like uh, college admission forms before the Supreme Court upended affirmative action back in June, things get kind of sticky. Because there, you have supporters of racial categories arguing that without them, we wouldn't be able to identify systemic discrimination. And so coming back to the census, that's one argument people give for keeping race on it in 2030. Right? That data is used to devise and fund policies and programs, and to monitor compliance with anti-discrimination laws. Like, for example, challenging racially gerrymandered congressional districts. But there, you had Hoyt proposing a solution to this in a meeting with Census Bureau officials back in May, with them creating a mock census form that instead of asking people to declare their race, asks, how is this person racialized? And there, you have two columns of boxes, one marked by self and one marked by others. But all that said, personally, I will say, I think as long as systemic 
and full-blown racism is a thing, I think we do need to be mindful of race, even if it is a social construct. That way we can try to deal with it or at least see inequities at the local, state, and federal levels. But also, I, I want to pair that with, that is just my opinion based off of my lived experiences, how I see things out there. And this is a deeply complex and divisive topic. So I also want to hear from you whether you agree or you disagree with me. And then we saw a huge political shakeup in Eastern Europe this weekend, with centrist and progressive opposition parties in Poland poised to win big in elections. And if they can work out a deal together, they can topple the current nationalist government. And Donald Tusk, a former prime minister and head of one of the centrist parties, absolutely ecstatic about the wins, proclaiming, we did it, we really did, this is the end of this bad time, this is the end of PIS rule. And that rule has definitely been controversial. Right? I mean, we've talked about it a few times over the years, but the PIS-run Polish government has increasingly passed controversial legislation, much to the annoyance of the EU. Things like restrictions on abortions or establishing LGBT-free zones. I mean, it even led to the EU cutting off funding to Poland over those issues. And so because of stuff like that, many Poles consider this to be the most consequential election since their independence from the USSR. And that definitely showed in their turnout numbers, with 73% coming out to vote, which was also the highest since the end of communist rule. But a very important key takeaway is that even if a coalition government is formed, it doesn't mean that conservative politics still aren't popular there. Because right? the PIS still won probably like 200 out of the 438 seats. So as a single entity, they are still the biggest party. Also, I say probably because the official count isn't done until tomorrow. And that's without mentioning the, the way Poland allocates seats. It's a complicated mess based on proportional amounts of votes and passing a certain threshold. So technically, we won't know for sure, for sure until tomorrow. Right now, everyone is treating the tentative results as the likely outcome. Also, important to note, domestically, this could signal a big shift for Poland, but also internationally, some major things are unlikely to change. Right, With one of them being Poland's biggest international concern right now being Russia and the ongoing war in Ukraine. Considering Poland's long animosity towards Russia due to multiple invasions, it's unlikely they'll change their stance to suddenly become pro-Russia. So for partners like Ukraine, at least that'll remain a constant. And then, let's talk about yesterday, today, where we take a look back at the last show where we covered a lot of news. We dive into those comments and see what are y'all sounding off on? What are your thoughts? What are your opinions? What are your experiences? The story that easily took over the comments section had to do with the whole Tim Ballard Sound of Freedom scandal. Right? Sexual abuse allegations and that lawsuit. And that's just in addition to the other crazy aspects of the story. And there we saw people sharing things like, the Sound of Freedom story and controversy only makes me sad. Sex trafficking of all kinds is a very real threat and while recognized seems to be an open secret. Then you have self-righteous men like Ballard coming out to use the issue to brighten their own star. My hope is we criticize these people who take advantage and exploit these issues while also continuing to help those currently suffering in silence and those survivors who need it. So I'm saying the Sound of Freedom thing is so frustrating because most of it was known before the movie even came out and it was largely ignored because of the push for quote, Hollywood elites don't want you to see this. Another of y'all saying, the Sound of Freedom story basically reaffirms my belief that anytime someone self-promotes themselves as the morally good heroic type trying to make a difference will always end up being revealed as absolute pieces of garbage. Some of y'all also sharing your own experiences. People saying things like Sound of Freedom was presented to me as some fundraiser that the person claimed was more important than the charity I did for a veteran-owned and operated group that actively helps other veterans with mental health. The person wanted me to buy tickets for those who can't afford it. No, they wanted to fudge numbers, have a ghost audience. I said I don't do scams and block them. As well as another reading, I worked in a faith-based anti-trafficking organization. We focused on adult women, working closely with law enforcement. Instead of bursting in dramatically, we would offer friendship and support as well as the knowledge that they could call us anytime and be given a place to sleep and financial support. And adding, the people working were largely former trafficking survivors, so it was run much better. Watching this story about Ballard was sickening. God calls on us to serve, not use victims to puff up our ego. And that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end today. But remember, for more news you need to know, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap. Also, you can get some beautiful bastard gear. But as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces, and I'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow.